where there's no change to the majority underlying ownership interests, the company assets will continue to be pre-CGT status. You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to run and grow your firm. Welcome to episode 253 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. What happens to pre-CGD company assets when the original shareholder dies? This is the question Paul McEnross of Cleary Hall in Brisbane will discuss with you in this episode. Pre-CGT shares, so they will act like any other CGT asset uh, in that once the owner of those shares passes away, they will pick up a market value cost base from the date of death of the owner. And when they go through the estate to the new owner, they will have a, a market value cost base at the date of death of the original owner. Do the pre-CGT assets within this company, do they also change to post-CGT or do they stay pre-CGT? Yes, it's a little more uh, complicated. And the way the way all changes in shareholding in relation to pre-CGT company assets works is you take a snapshot of the majority underlying ownership interests at the CGT date, so September 1985. So when looking at whether or not a death changes the status of company assets, we need to look at what the majority underlying ownership interests were at 20 September 1985, so the CGT date. So we take a, the company takes a snapshot of the majority ownership interests at that time and the assets of that company become post-CGT assets on the earliest date when those majority interests change. So if we, if we had a situation where we had a one owner of a, a pre-CGT company, for example, and that owner later transferred 51% of their shares, well, the pre-CGT assets of the company would, would cease to be pre-CGT assets on the transfer date because we've changed the majority underlying ownership interests of that company at that time. How it works in terms of a person who has passed away, there is a concession in the law that allows the shares to pass through an estate where the beneficiary of those shares will continue to or stand in the shoes of the original owner so that it won't have the effect of giving those assets a post-CGT cost base. So how that works is if, if uh, going back to our scenario where there's one owner and the company has pre-CGT assets, if that person died and passed their assets to their child through their will and estate, then that child effectively stands in the shoes of the parent and there has not been a change in the underlying ownership of, those, of the company and therefore the pre-CGT assets. So those assets would remain pre-CGT assets until there was a change in that majority underlying ownership. Now, the way the law works is a little bit quirky in that it requires the ultimate owner, which is the term, to be an individual. There are some other mechanisms, but they're not particularly relevant. So companies that have 
no rights of distribution. So, you know, charity type companies, but ultimately for our purposes, it needs to be an individual. There is an IT that was released many years ago, which says that the commissioner will exercise the discretion. There is a discretion there uh, in the legislation and the commissioner said they'll exercise their discretion where the shares are pre-CGT shares held by the trustee of a, of a family trust. And provided there's been no changes to beneficiaries, the commissioner says that they will treat uh, that family trust as if it were one owner, notwithstanding that technically under the law, a trust is not an ultimate owner for the majority underlying interest test. If the shares were to be distributed to a testamentary trust rather than to an individual, the situation is is certainly not, not as clear. Strict reading of the legislation would show that the assets in the company would no longer, or there would no longer be a majority ownership interest in the company and therefore the assets, which are pre-CGT, would suddenly have a cost base of the market value at the date of death. So that's probably a, a planning point. Now, it may be that the commissioner may exercise a discretion in that scenario, but I've never had the scenario presented to me and never uh, sought the discretion. But it may be a planning point to consider if, if clients have pre-CGT companies with pre-CGT assets that we consider making an individual beneficiary rather than a discretionary trust in relation to those shares. When the shares pass from an individual shareholder to an individual beneficiary, then the assets within the company continue to be pre-CGT. If the individual shareholder held the shares on trust and the beneficiaries haven't changed, then the assets should also continue to be pre-CGT. If the shares pass into a testamentary trust, then there is a question mark. Then you probably have a change in CGT status. Yeah, I, th I think that's the correct position. It is a little unclear and the commentary says that, but I think the answer is probably more likely than not you've got a, a change in pre-CGT status if it goes to a testamentary trust. And you explained all this very good in words that I can understand. But I think from memory, and I, and I was just trying to find the notes where I wrote this down, from memory, it's actually very complicated within the legislation. And I think there is a table within ITAA 97, I think. Can there we just is, very I think it's in um, section 149-30, subsection 3. And what... What that subsection says is effectively on the death of a person where a new ultimate owner becomes the new owner of, of those pre-CGT shares, then in my layman's terms, the new owner stands in the shoes of the old owner for the purposes of that majority underlying interest test and, the, and won't be treated as a, as a new owner going forward. So this is highly relevant because before... The CGT came in in 1985, a lot of properties were held through a company, which now has changed because the company doesn't qualify for the CGT discount. But before 1985, a lot of companies did hold properties and hence there are still quite a few companies out there that hold these pre-CGT assets. So this is highly relevant and it's usually about a lot of 
a lot of money. And the good news is, while any assets that are held in individual names as such lose their pre-CGT status at the time of death, when they are sheltered within a company, they don't. And so there is the chance that we still have pre-CGT assets sheltered within a company in 100 or 200 years. That is correct. Although the legislation doesn't make it terribly clear as to whether that death exception would continue beyond the first death, so the death of the original owner who owned those shares pre-CGT. My view of it would be is that it that it would only apply in that first generation. So yes, depending on how long the beneficiary of the will lives, it may live for that long. But I don't think it's it's uh, a case where it will be passed. It won't be infinitive. That's right. Now, just a very, very basic question. You would probably shake your head that I ask that. When the uh, pre-CGT assets stay pre-CGT and are then sold, I mean, it's unlikely that you would have a capital loss on assets that were bought before 1985, but just in theory, you wouldn't recognize a gain or a loss in the um, company tax return, correct? Yeah, that's right. Because I think in the tax return, you say, yes, you had a CGT event, but then you choose an exemption in the drop-down menu. Is there some sort of recording mechanism for a sale of a pre-CGT asset in the company? The answer is it is a capital gain, but that capital gain is disregarded. So the Uh, answer is it is a CGT event? Sorry, yes, it is a CGT event. That might result in a capital gain or a capital loss, but both are disregarded. Correct. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's right. Can I just very quickly, just coming back to your comment before, that it probably only, you can only maintain the pre-CGT status one generation down. So in the handover from the original owner to the first beneficiary, but you can't hand it down to future generations pre-CGT. Is that certain or that's a question mark that will need to be decided by the courts further down the track? Look, my reading of the legislation is that it, it will only work where the original owner owned the shares from the pre-CGT time and it is on the death of that person only that you're able to, I guess, pass that concession down the line. So that means the next generation will receive the market value as cost base and then continues post-CGT. Yes, that's right. Bearing in mind, obviously, that the shares are different. The shares will, they will get a market value cost base on the date of death, notwithstanding that the company assets might retain their pre-CGT status going forward. So there's two different two different parallels there. One is uh, in relation to their shares. They will collect a market value cost base from the date of death, but the assets In that scenario, where there's no change to the majority underlying ownership interests, the company assets will continue to be pre-CGT status. So that means further down the line, we have two different points in time. The shares receive the market value at the death of the original owner, and the assets will receive the market value as cost base at the death of the first beneficiary. Yes, I think that's, that's right. Actually, just very quickly thinking this through. So the company that is now in the hands of the first beneficiary sells property, which is 
pre-CGT, let's say they make a $1 million capital gain on it that is not recognized because it's pre-CGT. But now this $1 million capital gain is distributed as a dividend, hence would be an unfranked dividend because there's no franking credit on it. And then it would be taxed at marginal tax rates in the hand of the shareholder. Yeah, that's correct. There is an yeah, alternative there. Depending on, on the life cycle of the company, it may be that at the end of the sale, that company may no longer be, I guess, needed. And it may be that they may be able to liquidate the company, in which case it, it may be possible for that untaxed portion to come out as a capital, capital payment in relation to CGT event C2, which is a cancellation of the shares. And there have been some cases more relevant to cases where you might disregard an amount of the capital gain in relation to, say, the active asset reduction, but it should equally apply to to this untaxed portion because, as you say, it would be an unfranked dividend payable to the shareholder. If we have liquidated all pre-CGT assets and then we just have a big bulk of money sitting in the company, we liquidate the company, we have a capital distribution with a C2 CGT event and then the resulting capital gain would be calculated as the amount of money that's coming out less the cost base of the shares at the time of death yes. of, the, of the original owner. Yeah, that's correct. And that is a way to take advantage of the fact that you had pre-CGT assets in the company. And I guess that's the policy behind having you know companies continue to have pre-CGT status and also, I guess, the ability that there needs to be an ability to get that gain or that benefit out without completely destroying what was the concession for pre-CGT assets. And so you basically get two concessions. The one concession is that you receive the cost base as at the time of death, which will already be substantial because you know a lot of time has passed. Yes. And the second concession is that you now, because it's capital, you can apply the CGT discount. Hence yes, that's cut, right. Cut the whole thing by 50% again. That's right. In the case where a company might make a capital gain and apply some of the small business concessions, or in the case we've been talking about earlier, where the company had pre-CGT assets, the accounts may show or have an account labelled a capital profit reserve. And what that is designed to do is to highlight that there are profits that might be treated differently if the company were wound up on liquidation. And, and it's it's a way of, I guess, segregating those discounted amounts, whether it be under the small business concessions, for example, or even if there is no CGT payable because of the asset being a pre-CGT asset. So often they will assign that amount to a capital profits reserve so that if a liquidator were appointed, liquidator can, by its distribution, distribute those profits in relation to, I guess, not as a dividend, but as a return of capital to the shareholders, then the capital component that they receive is in relation to a CGT event C2, the cancellation of their shares. And it's, I guess it's a way of 
having a capital profits reserve is a way of segregating those amounts so that it's easy, easily identifiable in that liquidation. So if you want to access the cash outside of the company without having to roll it all through a dividend tax at marginal tax rates, the only way to really do that would be a Division 7A loan. Yeah, it would. So obviously... <laughs> What happens in practice is that you know clients will take the money and and spend it on things, and the accountant will get involved and and say, well, we need to put that on a Division Seven A loan. Now it may be that if that company is not doing anything further, the next step will be to liquidate and provide for that money to come out indefinitely, so the company be liquidated. But oftentimes in the interim, there will be a Division Seven A loan to the shareholders. Because there's no way you can distribute the capital profits reserve before liquidation. It's not possible to make a distribution of capital before liquidation. That's correct. I mean, obviously, it can be a dividend, but it will be unfranked because uh, the company's never paid tax on it, which is, which is why most people end up putting in place a Division 7A loan because they don't want to take an unfranked dividend. But leaving aside, if, if the client doesn't want an unfranked dividend, then yes, the only way to get that money out of the company in a, in a tax advantageous form is to liquidate the company. Until just now, I always thought that we only have a capital profits reserve when we have a company with pre-CGT assets, but you're actually very right that a company would also have a capital profits reserve when it has claimed some small business CGT concessions. 50% CGT discount doesn't apply, so it would only be the small business CGT concessions. That's right. And or exemptions. Look, uh, is it, it it's concessions or exemptions? A Small little bit of both, I suppose, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, look, I mean, in practice, you, you don't need a, a capital profits reserve. It just makes life a little clearer when a liquidator is assigning distributions. There was a case called Archer Brothers, and from that case came the principle that where a liquidator uses profits from a particular account, and in this case, a capital profits account, then the character of that payment will will be retained. So if it were in relation to a pre-CGT cap gain, then it would retain that character if it were debited from that account. And that's why in practice, it makes sense to have a separate account. The ATO recognised that it's not entirely necessary to have a separate account as long as you can as the long as the liquidator can prove that they have sourced the payment from that pre-CGT sale or, or profit I suppose but it just makes life a little bit easier for one the accountants and two the liquidator to say well that capital profit came from the sale of a pre-CGT asset and I'm making a distribution of that capital to the shareholder in relation to their CGT event C2 uh, cancellation yes. of their shares. And of course, you only ever have amounts going into the capital profits reserve. Nothing is coming out until the company is liquidated, which is quite straightforward when the company just has one major asset, but can be an issue when the company has many major assets, let's say 10 properties, and one or two or three properties are sold, then Division 7A is really the only way out. Correct. And and that's often the difficulty clients face is, is they need to put in place a Division 7A loan agreement or pay punitive tax rates on a dividend for that money. 
And then just last comment. In your notes, you mentioned TD95 slash 10. Yes. So that is really an explanation of the commissioner's acceptance of that principle from that Archer Brothers case that I was talking about, that where a liquidator sources a distribution from a particular account in the books of the company, then the payment will retain the character of that account. And in this case, uh, we're talking about an untaxed gain because it was a pre-CGT gain then it will retain that character as capital and not income. So not be a dividend under either Section 46 or 47 of the 1936 Act. So the Commissioner accepts that as the law. In that case, uh, sorry, in that uh, tax determination, they, they say that while a special account is not necessary, it certainly helps identify where the, where the liquidator is sourcing that profit from. And last question, just coming back to the CGT status of the company assets, whether they're pre-CGT or post-CGT, there is no choice. Assets are either pre-CGT or post-CGT just based on facts. The shareholder can't waive the pre-CGT status because it maybe there are capital losses on the asset or so. It's no choice. It's just based on facts. Yeah, that's right. The legislation operates automatically. It's it's not a choice that you can make. There are choices in the legislation, such as the small business concessions. Uh, some of them are choices that you make or rollovers. They are choices, but whether or not an asset is pre-CGT or not is, is automatic. Welcome back. So pre-CGT company assets stay pre-CGT for one more beneficiary after the original shareholder dies, but after that will change to post-CGT. In the next episode, episode 254, Paul McEnroe's We'll discuss the Marcella case with you, how the rules around SMSF trustees' discretion have changed forever. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.